talking to you both, it's very clear that the key to your success over the years has always been thinking about ways to optimize your service drives. And you both bring interesting perspectives, both from large dealerships and independent repair shops. But, you know, COVID-19 has fixed ops looking at everything we do in a different light. You know, and transformation seems to be a key factor across the board. And, you know, thankfully, the stay-at-home requirements are loosening up. You know, service drives are opening back up, hiring folks back on, bouncing back, and they're seeing traffic uh, increase a bit. But at the same time, you know, even before COVID, 40% of people had a hard time putting together 400 bucks. And now the Department of uh, Labor is reporting that 40% of families making less than $40,000 a year are unemployed, which is astonishing. And yet people still need to drive to work, go get groceries, all that stuff. So I'm curious, how has this been affecting your guys' service drives? Are people able to afford the repairs they need? Well, it was really interesting for our shop as we had uh, two all-time record sales months in March and April. And our car count did decline, but I believe that where we're at right now is we're just on the back end of all the stimulus money kind of running out. And I do think that this is going to impact us very soon. I think we're seeing a more educated customer and a more cautious consumer in the fact that whatever dollars they spend, wherever they spend it, uh, they're going to really slow down and not make as many emotional trigger buys. And they're thinking through it. The good thing for automotive repair is this perfect storm of, you know, consumers shifting to, you know, on-demand products and what's going on with kind of a recession brewing is people are fixing their cars and they're looking at that car as an asset now and they don't really want to take on a lot of debt. So it's really driving more people to us. So we're seeing, you know, Adrian, what I think is happening is they're shifting more money into our product. Uh, yeah, they may still have a hard time uh, financing or coming up with the money. And that's an interesting stat that, you know, 40% of people cannot come up with a $400 expense. Very staggering. So I think we haven't seen the impact of it, but yes, we're starting to see it and we're seeing more sales objections. So that means the service providers have got to be prepared for that. Thank you, Jeremy. Robert, uh, your insight. What's going on with you guys? What well, you one, one thing we saw, we, we did obviously see the, the traffic aspect lower down with people being more afraid to, to get out and move about and get in. Um, but the ones that, that did come in, we were actually seeing a, a, a record increases in, in what we got per ticket. Um, we didn't really see too much, too much, too many people being, you know, trigger shy with with being able to spend money on their vehicle. Um, not just from what they came out of pocket with, but also with the, you know, with the financing tools that that, that we have. Um, you know, they were they were more cautious of of how they how they spent it and wanted to be more assured of what it was and and it kind of made our advisors step their game up as far as their presentations were concerned. Um, and it gave us an opportunity to do so with the with the lower amount of traffic. They were able to spend more time with that customer, build the rapport, which obviously made the hours per row, dollars per row go 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 up. And uh, those were those were benefits that we saw as a business. Um, but as far as customers, you know, it, it was I didn't I didn't see to where. I didn't see to where they, they were they were too shy to spend that money. I mean, especially if we were able to do our job and, and, and advocate for them and give them that presentation to, to let them know why they needed it and put it all on the table for them. Um, traffic jumped down as far as spending dollars, not so much. Um, I think the with the money that everybody was getting with the, from the government and stimulus and people were kind of planning planning out their moves more. If you if you if, you know if you put it that way, um, planning it out more, but also at the same time understanding they had money coming in still. And and we kind of found ourselves kind of you know reiterating that, hey, you do have some money coming in. It's like there's nothing coming in, you know, and, and kind of you know, playing, playing an advocate both ways for them, trying to help them. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Did you just say that you attached your business to their stimulus check? Like that money's earmarked for us. That's pretty cool, man. That's awesome. 
I mean, whatever, whatever, you know, at the same time, and that's what the money's for to make sure that they're, that they're getting by and that they're getting right. So, you know, and, and uh, just whatever we could do to incorporate and put it all together. You know, you said something interesting because of the decrease in traffic on the drive. You were saying that your advisors are able to spend more time relationship building. And Jeremy, I know this is a really big part of how you train advisors. You know, is, is there something that advisors can be taught right now to help them adapt in terms of relationship building? Well, you know, the biggest thing on that, the word you hit on is adaptability. It's, it's key. We don't know what the future is going to hold. I think we have a, you know, it's it's funny. I liken where we're at with the economy right now to when the tsunami's coming, you know, and the water gets pulled out and everybody's running around the beach being like, wow, there's fish on the ground. What's going on? And you're like, no, you need to look out there because the wave is coming. So yeah, adaptability is key. And I think it's interesting because we are a service, you know, industry and to give the customer the time that they want. And I think, you know, what Robert's talking about is just great that the advisors could slow down have the time. And I think why we set our record months is our incoming calls went from an average of 26 to two. So for six weeks, we only had two incoming phone calls a day. And that allowed us to work on the backlog and actually spend more time with the customer and do that. So yeah, adaptability is definitely key. And the hard part right now is people come in with a mask and you don't know if they're smiling or not. So I just hand them a Sharpie and say, hey, could you please draw your emotional expression on your mask for me? That way I know if you're angry, upset, kind of melancholy or happy. We've got to know. Um, obviously, you can see it in the eyes, but for the most part, I, I miss that FaceTime that we have with customers. Yeah. And, you know, on this topic of adaptability, you know, I keep reading about and hearing about delivery and drop-off services, but I, I got a couple of questions about that. And, and I'm curious, Robert, I'll start with you. Is that something you guys have been offering, delivery and drop-off services? We have, uh, especially when the... Uh when the height of the, of the, the COVID hit and the, you know, shelter in place in, in, in April, especially at the beginning of April, we had to look for, for different ways to do business and, and adapt to, to, to the changing climate of what we were doing and where we were at. And that's one thing that we were doing. We were hitting the phones because we, we went from, you know, 130, 140 cars a day to 30 to 40 cars a day. So, you know, and so we go from letting people just come in and hurt to us having to be on the phones and making calls. So essentially you turn your, your service drive into another BDC and everybody's just calling, everybody's calling, making calls and Hey, we offer the service for you guys, you know, just kind of reassuring the customer that, Hey, I understand that you don't want to come in. We're taking these precautions to make sure that your vehicle is safe when it's here and it's back sanitized to you. And so on, all these other things that are, that are important to these customers uh, at them and uh, letting them know that, yes, we are available to pick your vehicle up. We, we picked them up, brought it here, um, we're still able to, to look at their vehicle, perform a multi-point inspection, communicate back and forth via text, sending pictures, emails, whatever the, the customer's preference was, and uh, it did the work, got it dropped back off to them. So, so it seems to be working because you guys have staff available to do it, but I'm curious, as you guys bounce back and traffic picks up, is, is delivery and drop-off scalable? Is it, is it cost-effective to still keep doing it? You know, and that's, that's one part of, 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 of adapting to that part of the business, you know, and, and what we did, we, we have trimmed back some because um, at, at the height of it, when we had no customers, yes, we were, hey, we'll pick up your car anywhere, you know, how many miles, doesn't matter. But now, you know, with, with the, we had to evaluate our staffing because obviously one thing we did do is we cut costs, and, you know, so you got rid of your, your, your hourly people and, and you kind of trim your staff back and, uh, you know, so the logistics of it didn't always work. And who's going to go get it? You know, is the advisor going to go get it? Is the tech who's just been sitting around 
can he go get it since he's going to get the work, you know, and, and as business is picking up and as restrictions are, are, are getting looser, um, yeah, it's something that we're going to have to, to pay attention to, you know, do we have the, do we have the right staff to go ahead and continue that business? We've kind of closed in our radius to within 10 to 12 miles. Um, and, uh, and also the different services, you know, the client services that are typically going to spend a little more for you. We're going to go ahead and send them a little bit more, a lot of more effort that way to get those cars picked up. You know what I mean? And, I and, uh, and what our store is, our store is a kind of a destination store. We're, we're not in the middle of a residential area or right in the middle of a, of more of an industrial area. So people, we were counted on people coming back and forth to work. And obviously most people are, are working at home or a lot of people are working at home right now. So that was our biggest increase in traffic also. So reaching out to those people and trying to get them here within a certain mile radius, certain zip code and kind of planning, you know, Hey, well, this week we're going to try to go to this zip code in this area, and this area, kind of plan out your areas, not just, you know, a big footprint all at once. Interesting. Jeremy, I mean, I mean, is this something you guys do or do you have any thoughts about delivery and drop off? You know, it's interesting because I've, I've worked at dealerships and I've seen this concept be out there. And I think one of the things, if you're going to do it, you've got to commit to it. And the hardest part, Adrian, like you said, is the scalability of it. And it's interesting when, when we bought Freedom Auto Repair, the previous owner done a lot of marketing and SEO for mobile uh, work. And we still get calls to this day. And so they're like, do you have mobile service? So we're going to call from a customer that wants us to come in. I'm like, absolutely. We can actually, you know, come out. The starting fee for the service is $225. And then the fee for the test is this, or we can tow your car in and do it for a little bit less. And they always end up towing the car in. So I think one of the things that we look at as, you know, things progress is autonomous cars are going to be here soon. So I can't wait for the car to drive itself into us, right? Just program it and come in. So it, it is scale. What we're looking at moving into next year is, you know, the more profitable jobs, and I'm not just focused on profit. So before I go there, I'll say this, you know, Peter Drucker says the principal purpose of business is to do what? It's to create a customer. So I think if you're going to do the drop-off and delivery service and add that into your arsenal, if you're a fixed ops manager or a service director or a dealership principal or even a shop owner, I think you've got to look at it that you can't judge the success of it based off of the profit, because I guarantee you when you get the first two or three P&Ls, you're going to want to cut it because it's really expensive to do that service. But if it gains market share and it makes you a dominant player in an area that's underserviced, it's worth the investment. So if you're spending $10,000 a month on direct mail postcards to drive service drive work to your service drive, maybe you invest 5,000 that in this drop off and pickup service and you realize you get a better client out of that. So just shifting your marketing dollars could be a way to go, but keep your focus on creating that customer. And then what we're doing next year is we're going to go after two areas. Uh, we're going to do mobile air conditioning service and then mobile diagnostic work because those are the two triggers of cars that I want in our shop. And so we can go scale that and I can have two or three or four vans running around town and actually expand our business without having to expand the real estate and stuff. So it's definitely something there, but I would advise everybody to keep your eye on the prize, which is creating that customer for life. And it could be a great addition but it's very expensive to do. You know, it kind of, it makes me think of this article I was just reading. I think it was in Fixed Ops Magazine about Ford launching these rolling service centers. Um, it, you know, is that something you guys have been reading about too? Or do you have thoughts about that level? Because if you're doing the air conditioning work and other things, is that concept feasible too? Well, I think it is. And I, you know, I love watching what Ford does, you know, they definitely like to, you know, invest money in emerging trends and trying new technologies out. 
The hardest part, I think, where you're going to run into mobile service is what are you going to do in repairs when you've got the fluids and stuff like that and certain city regulations? And, you know, up here, we're okay because we're kind of the Wild West up in the high desert of Southern California. But if I had a shop down in L.A. and I went across the city line, I need a different permit and all that. So I would definitely be interested in following Ford and seeing how much of their product line they deliver out to the customer and see exactly um, if they're successful, but they're doing it for, if they're doing it, they're doing it for a reason. There's a market there. Good point. Robert, you got any thoughts about it? Yeah. Just like, again, it's, it's, it's something that you can definitely follow and see what's, what the market would bring for that. Um, you know, coming from the dealership world, our whole, you know, outlook of doing businesses is obviously building that relationship with the customer. And there's no better way to do that than having, you know, face-to-face -face interaction with the customer, especially, you know, you bring them in, they spend the money on the facility, bring them in, uh, kind of building your credibility as as uh, the service center, the, the master certified technicians, the, the whole the, the the whole picture that, that you paint when the when the customer comes into the building. Um, and another part of our business, obviously, one of the biggest parts is you know the multi point inspection. So if, if I'm doing the if I'm doing the mobile service, I'm going to you. I'm going to be very limited on what I can do on the street. Um, you know, and and not just because of the logistics of it, but at the same time, you know. Uh, Time-wise, you know, is, is it, it going to be safe where, where the car is at? It's going to be, you know, can they have that that section of sidewalk or whatever tied up for however long you need to? And and um, how you, how are you going to be there to recommend other repairs? Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I really don't. I mean, obviously, it, it's it's very early in, the, in those stages of what their guys are trying to do with that with that system. But um, I just think it takes away from from the the dealership experience. Them coming in. Uh, understanding that what what they get when they come into the dealership and on the business side of it, um, that kind of limits your ability to to present MPI to the customer, the multi-point inspection, uh, and and it limits your ability to be able to advise that customer on the condition of their vehicle. You're kind of given a, a halfway check if you're just looking at at small things, uh, but it's like going to the dentist. You know, you, you go to the dentist, you you don't know you have a cavity. They do some in-depth checking, some X-rays, and you find out you have two three cavities. Oh man, I didn't I didn't know that was there. Well, you missed that ability. Of having to being able to put the vehicle on a lift and on a rack and check you know ball joint struts bearings things like that that you wouldn't be able to do on the street um yeah. you could but but you wouldn't be as, as you'd be limited um so I, I think it just takes away from the overall experience of the customer and as well as, as uh, the profitability of the dealership being able to to, to upsell and, and you're touching on this thing i'm also interested in which is the ability to provide additional service recommendations and you know, I'm also reading that, you know, kind of circling this back to adaptability, I'm reading about an increase in kiosks in the service departments, right, in the lobby or, you know, and although I'm, I'm reading that there's an increase in usage with kiosks, customers like 90% are reported to prefer speaking with an advisor one-on-one. -on -one. So if I think about like Robert and Jeremy, what you guys are talking about with, you know, doing things remotely, but then is there difficult in not having an actual advisor and the ability to provide upsell recommendations? You know, Jeremy, I'll, I'll start with you there. You know, it's, it's so funny because I, I study human language and every word that comes out of our, our uh, mouth is very critical, especially when you're on the service drive. So a couple of things I'll attack right here. And I'm going to go back in time just a little bit to what we just talked about. But mm -hmm. a couple of things that I try to remove from my vocabulary, one of them is the word recommendations. And the reason for that's a very soft word. And, you know, if you go to your cardiologist and he's like, hey, Adrian, you know, I got your labs back and um, looking okay. Uh, I know you used to play in a ska band. So, you know, that took a little <laughs> bit of toll on your body, but you're doing all right for your age. Um, I got some recommendations for you, man. Your cholesterol is a little high. I just recommend that you stop eating in and out twice a day. 
maybe cut that back to once a day, you're going to be fine. So that's one presentation, right? Well, the first yeah. thing you're going to do when you leave is you're starving because you had to fast. You're going to run an internet, get a four by four and just get a shake and everything with it because you're starving, right? You see but right if, through me. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing. Now, the, change one word. So now the doctor comes to you and says, hey, Adrian, have a seat. I got your labs back and I was reviewing the results and I've got a couple of concerns that we need to talk about. Okay. So right there, where's your mindset at as a consumer? Okay. Recommendations. I'm still Facebook and I'm texting, whatever. When the doctor sits you down and says, hey, I've got some concerns, you stop. Your mind stops. Everything that you're doing is focused on that moment. And I think that's where automotive repair is going. We're, customers are tired of the upsell. They're tired of the confusion between the maintenance schedule. Toyota says to do one thing, and then the dealership's telling me another, and then the dealership across town has a different maintenance schedule. So who do I believe? Uh, so they're tired of that confusion. And with technology, everything's transparent. So that's one word that I change. And then the other thing with the kiosk is I go back to what you guys were talking about with the drop-off service and the concierge service. Consumers really don't want to deal with our process. They don't really want to come into a service drive. They don't want to come into a service center and sit down and wait. Uh, they don't want to be without their vehicle. And, you know, Bill Ford has invested billions of dollars in, a, in an autonomous uh, vehicle company because the automotive the car right now sits idle 95% of the time. So the duty cycle of the car is sitting in a parking lot 95% of the time. So from a consumer standpoint, I just want my car taken care of. If I don't have to go through the process of seeing an advisor, dealing with the sales presentation, having to wait for the porter to find my car when there's a hundred white Toyota Camrys out there and I don't know which one is mine. I don't want that process anymore. If I can go to sleep at 9 p.m. and I wake up at 5 a.m. and my car was magically serviced overnight and everything was approved with the push of a button, that's the future. That's where we're heading. And the challenges right now, I think so many people in this industry are stuck with a brick and mortar mindset that we have to have a big facility. We have to have a multi-million dollar, you know, sparkly dealership or service center, but we don't. We can do this differently. I think the service centers of the future are going to be large warehouses that you never see. And they have satellites out there that bring the cars to this major hub to do the work. So it's a big shift, but as you guys were talking about that, I just realized that my mind is still stuck in the bricks and mortars, but to really thrive in 10 years, I'm going to position my company to deliver an experience that the customer of tomorrow wants today, and I'll be leading it, and that's so, where I want to go. I, I really like this line of thought, and, and one of the questions I have for you, especially as a trainer with as much experience as you have, so, okay, we move towards this model. How do you get that interaction where you can address concerns and put the human element to it, right? Are the concerns going to be as a tangible if I'm just reading it on a screen versus being consulted about it? Does that make well, sense? It, it does. Yeah. There's two things. Transparency. Pictures, videos, digital inspections are already here. We've been using them for, you know, 10 years. Um, I don't think the consumer needs the, and I'm going to get yelled at for this. I'm going to get so much flack for this, but it's okay. Cause I bear the truth. I'm bare my soul to you guys. I don't think they need the human touch. I think in the future, if I can have a sales system that the car told the consumer what the car wanted, the car would outsell any service advisor or kiosk on the planet. So I'm a little forward thinking on that. And I'm a, I, I'll walk to the edge and jump off. Um, but still, there is a place for advisors. I don't want to go out there that Jeremy said we don't need service advisors because somebody's going to say that. I didn't say that. The consumer expectations and the experience is definitely changing. There's a place for kiosk. 
But if I have six advisors on a drive, I can't just put six kiosks up and let it run on autopilot. I still need a person there. Mm -hmm. So for a little bit, we still need that human interaction. But you know what COVID's doing is this. It is forcing and wedging businesses to drastically change overnight. And I don't think it's going to go away. So I think it's something that we have to change our mindset on. I appreciate you bearing your soul, Robert. You're going to bear your soul to us about this too. Well, that, that's a little, that's a little further out thinking a little bit over my head. I'm, I, that's, that's, you know, what, what I'm, you know, what I'm tasked to do is to maximize business that we have now, not what may be happening in the future. I mean, and that, that would, that would all sound great. And if it, it all changed that way, but you know, and, and that, those are great ideas. I mean, in, in a perfect world world that would work, but you know, here we are in 2020, we're supposed to have flying cars and, and cars that, 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 that drive themselves. And with us just leaning back and kicking back, but that's not all, all here yet. So, you know, what we're tasked with every day is maximizing what we have in store. And my, it all goes back to training. It goes back to training and the experience. You're right. Customers don't want to deal with, with, with uh, you know, people jumbling their keys and fumbling their keys and I don't have to go in there. And what's the main reason why people don't want to come into a dealership most of the time or a, serv or a, or a service facility? Um, lack of process, lack of training, lack of feeling important. So it, it all starts with, with training your advisor because I can guarantee I can put six advisors up with six kiosks. You know, you know, you want to go head to head. Let's see who, let's see who's more profitable and an advisor's going to win every day. Whoa, 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 hold on. Is that a challenge? Like, should I'll, we do that I'll, in 2021? Hey, I'll, I'm in. Prop All right. Six, six properly trained advisors, not just six advisors, but six properly trained advisors going up against, you know, six kiosks. The advisor's going to win every time. And the reason why, because people still want that. People, I mean, maybe eventually in the future, people won't want that FaceTime. But right now, for what I see day to day, you know, people want that FaceTime. I deal, we do three to 3,500 CPROs in a month, um, plus another, you know, four to 600 warranty ROs. That's 4,000 people that we see every day. And I can tell you from experience and being out there, these people, they want that relationship. They, they want that, they want that FaceTime. I mean, think about it with you, you know, when, when, you, when you're going to spend $1,500, $2,000 on, 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 on an automobile, that's an investment that you're going to just want something that's digital to spit out and say, here, this is what you need take this or you're going to be like that's what, what i need you know you're going to have questions you're going to want to go back and forth so it just depends on the extent of what you do but i mean i, I think that that personal time that the personal touch that facetime it has to be there i don't disagree with you i just i can i just at least get a dog to help the customers understand where they got to drop the keys off like <laughs> a guide dog would be great so yeah. my six kiosks that go up against you know and the dog We'll go up against your six advisors. Well, now you're asking for too much. You said kiosks. You said dogs or pets or anything else. Any other? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I didn't say a bulldog because a bulldog's not going to do anything. I'm going to bring my golden doodle. She's super smart and she can figure it out. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I'd love to study our business from the consumer standpoint. I've been a consumer of automotive repair and I, yeah, I have an 05 Suburban that I'm going to keep forever. And I used to take it to the General Motors dealer all the time for the major services. And I remember the very last time I, went to the dealer. I was just fed up with it. And the, you're right. You talked about processes, Robert, and that's key. Training and systems and getting that system duplicatable. So the experience for the customer is key. And unfortunately, if you have a service department, you're struggling, it's probably due to those two things right there. Lack of training, lack of processes. And real quick, I paid over 2,200 bucks for this major service. And I remember I had forgot when I went to pick up the car, I had a detail and it was there for a week. And as I'm driving home, I realize there's a crack in the windshield. I'm like, ah, oh, I forgot to tell my advisor about the crack in the windshield. And I would have paid for it. I don't care if it's $1,000, $2,000, because I just wanted it done. And they didn't ask me about it. And there were a couple other things I knew that my vehicle needed that I wasn't really concerned with. They didn't bring up. And then when I went to pick it up, it took them an hour to find the vehicle. 
and it was right in front of me and the porters out in the back, you know, honking the horn and stuff. So I think, you know, I don't think that would happen at Robert's dealership because he's got his stuff together and he trains his guys, but that's where the human side of it comes in. And I do agree, uh, you know, I'm not going to fire my advisor tomorrow and put a kiosk in the human side of it. Yes, you're right. A service advisor can still outsell a kiosk, you know, a lot. So I, I agree with you on that. Let's actually talk about our people um, and switch gears. I know we've been talking a lot about adaptability in terms of process and transforming how we operate. But, you know, if we look at our teams, there is a lot of reported anxiety and fear about job security, about safety at the dealership. You know, these are tumultuous times. And I'm curious, you know, how are you guys adapting in terms of, you know, keeping morale high? with your teams. Uh, I know Robert, you got a, you got a big team over there. What, what are you, what have you been doing? How are you helping them out? Uh, we do have a big team, you know, and, and it, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to, to, to build our team and keep us together and have everybody buy in and, and, and believe in what we're doing. You know, it, it's a team, it's more of a family, you know, the way we work here, everybody helps out each other and everybody understands that the front needs the back and the back needs the front. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been a, uh, you know, it, it's, I think even through, even through all this, it's kind of brought us all together even closer just because, you know, we, you, everybody kind of, kind of takes on that responsibility. Like, Hey, if I don't, if, if, if I'm not doing my job, this guy can't feed his family. If, if I'm not doing my job, they can't feed theirs. And, and it's just, it's just everybody really taking care of each other and, and understanding and knowing why we're here every day. And just continuing to, to push that, push that fact that, Hey, we're here to take care of the customer. Let's take care of the customer. The customer's going to take care of us and, and go from there. Um, you know, and, and, and then staffing and everything else, that's, that's a whole different, different side of it. But just everybody just coming in taking care of each other is, is, and being able and wanting to be here is kind of what's helped us in that part. Of it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Jeremy, your perspective. I agree. There is a lot of fear right now. Society's changing. You know, if you watch the news every night, there's a new thing that comes up with people getting in people's faces. And I think, you know, to keep the team safe, it, we can't stay at home forever. And at some point in time, we have to carry on. We have to move forward. So uh, what we've done for our team is just, you know, I tap back into their personal goals, where they want to be long-term. You know, why do you do this job? What's your purpose? And, you know, our purpose, number one, is to serve our customer and create a five-star experience with that customer every time. And everybody on the team is dedicated to that. So I think with what's going on in society, we're going to take the proper precautions to make sure that we sanitize everything, keep everybody safe. And then the other side of it is this, I've, I've let all of my team know that everybody has got to raise their situational awareness. We have to think safety first. You can't just you know, look at somebody walking down the street as just somebody walking down the street. You've got to assess the threat level and just make sure that everybody does their part to remain safe, be secure, and that everybody's got each other's back and that we're all in this for the long haul and uh, just take the proper precautions. Yeah, and that's a big part of it. Just understanding that that the, 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 the times are changing, you know, and social distancing. That's not going to be a thing, you know, for for who knows for how for maybe the, the way we do business nowadays. And uh, you know, just knowing that sanitizing all the common sense stuff that we knew to do before, but nobody really did it. It's now brought to the forefront now. And so everybody kind of looking out for each other, doing that, and making sure that you have all that stuff here so people can go ahead and, and take care of themselves. 
you know, you bring up the thing about social distancing and, and all that. And I was talking with one of my colleagues yesterday who's, who spends his days traveling to different dealerships. Um, and one of the things he was telling me was that it's been kind of difficult to gauge the whole mask thing because he'll go into some dealerships wearing a mask and no one else is wearing it. And they'll be like, ah, take that thing off. You don't need it. And then he'll walk into some places and they're hypersensitive to it. You know, they might even have their own branded masks they're handing out to folks. But I'm kind of curious, you know, what are you guys doing with that? How do you navigate that with customers? Um, Jeremy, I'd love your opinion first and Robert. Uh, you know, we're a little more lax on it here. Um, a smaller shop to you. I mean, we've got six people that work with us. So we're all, and everybody knows that they are not feeling good to, to stay home. But I respect the customer. If they walk in with a mask on, I've got a mask, you know, right there by our counter. We put it on. Or I'll ask the customer if they want us to put it on. You know, and it is interesting. I went to the grocery store the other day and they had put up the plexiglass. And I got to tell you, it changed the way I felt about that business. I literally was like, yeah, I'm just going to do online shopping now and have them deliver my groceries. Not Don't need to come here anymore. So that's, you know, one of my fears is, should I put plexiglass up at the counter? Should, you know, we have, you know, uh, six feet, you know, from the counter, which obviously with social distancing, we should. Uh, but it is definitely changing uh, the interaction and, and that human side of it. And it, it makes everybody feel different. So uh, we just respect the customer. We don't demand that they wear masks. Uh, it, we just kind of take them where they're at. So here, here in Texas, our, our, uh, our requirements have loosened up and, and you're not required to wear a mask. It's recommended, but it's not required. And, um, you know, we probably have a mix of about 30% of people that do come in with a mask and 70% that don't. Um, what, what I've asked my advisors to do is, is mirror your customer. If your customer has a mask, obviously, you know, that's, that's in their foresight. They're, they're, they're either have concerns or, or, you know, maybe they have health issues. Mirror your customer. If your customer has it on, put one on for them. Make them feel comfortable. Um, if they don't, then, hey, it's business as usual. Just maintain your social distancing, you know, just, and, and uh, we have, you know, we have the sanitizer around and just make sure you're sanitizing every, after every customer and, and go from there. But I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Jeremy too, you know, it, it's, you know, I, uh, seeing the plexiglass and, and seeing people being overly cautious, that kind of keeps me wanting to be like, oh, I don't think I want to come in here. You know what I mean? So it's, that's just, that's just my way of thinking, but, but uh, not everybody's the same as me. You know, everybody has their different views and, and, and who's to say what's right and what's wrong, you know, is it, is it, is it to have everybody masked up and, and, you know, you, you upset some people that way or to have nobody masked up and you upset people that way. So you kind of just kind of have to find a balance, you know, and, yeah. and um, you know, we have the signs posted about social distancing, the, the signs on the floor, staying six feet back, um, you know, we're saying all the right things and we're, and we have all the right things in place, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's, it's the customer's choice of, of what they have and, and what their beliefs are. And the only thing we can do is just do our best to try to mirror what they're looking at, you know, and, and we have customers that will tell you, Hey, I don't want anybody in my vehicle, or I want to be the one to move my vehicle, or I have this and that we've been experiencing that some, um, as well. Um, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, That's I mean, really interesting. We just take care of the customer if, if, and respect the customer. You know, if, if they come in and said, I would, like, for instance, I had a customer said, hey, I'm here for an oil change. I don't want anybody to move my move my vehicle but me. Uh, at that point, we had to let the customer know, Mr. Customer, you know, due to insurance regulations, I can't have you drive onto the lift. When's the last time you had, that you have driven on a lift? You know, that that's uh, it, it's, it's not feasible. Now, I, I understand your concerns, that, you know, with, with safety and 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 everything else. But let me assure you, I have I have porters that have gloves on. They're wearing, they're wearing masks. And uh, we can disinfect your car as soon as it comes out. If you, if you want to take a look at the vehicle, you're more, you know, our, our shop has a, the, the, the bay door. You're more than welcome to stand in the open air and take a look in uh, while you're not in the shop. If you want to visualize what we're doing. Um, but, you know, we're taking these precautions to make sure that you're safe. 
but I can't have you driving into my shop just based on, you know, just to make sure that, that all my employees are safe. So are you guys noticing that more people are sticking around in the lobby as work's being done on the car instead of leaving and coming back later? Here at the dealership level, yes. Um, there was a, we've had a lot of people that have been stuck inside. So a lot of them want to be out there, you know, and, and uh, I, I've had, I did have a lot of people that were like, hey, Mr. Customer, to do this type of repair or this diagnostic is going to take two, three, maybe four hours. And they're like, man, I'm just sitting at home anyway. I'd rather sit here than sit at home, you know, and my, my kids are running around at home here. I can at least read a book, you know, and, and we've, I've, I've seen some of that, um, a, a lot of it actually. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've been okay. We've, we've been able to, to, to fare through and, and we haven't really had as many upset customers as far as, as, as that part is concerned, wait times and anything else. And a lot of them have been wanting to wait. Hey, Jeremy? Yeah, we, I've actually seen it. And in fact, when the stay-at-home order started, we actually closed our waiting room and, you know, mandated that you could not wait for your service, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. I want to capture the car and separate the customer from the car. We still have people waiting. And it's, it is, it's different. Like Robert said, they've got nowhere else to be. So why not just hang out here? And uh, gosh, they just talk way too much. That's why I just, <laughs> you know, I actually have a car- cardboard cutout that I just set at the counter and then it does this, you know, and I walk and go do my work. So that's <laughs> pretty funny. So is it hard with, if more people are, are hanging out in the lobby, is it hard to maintain social distancing or has it even been an issue with you guys at all? It's not, it's, you can't keep people away from, I went and uh, picked out uh, some Mexican food takeout last night at the best Mexican restaurant in town. And nice. people were like packed waiting for a table and I walked in this really small, you know, uh, lobby and I was like, there are people everywhere. Like you could touch, 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 touch. And I'm just like, we're human beings. I mean, we gather, it's just, you just, you just go out take a bottle of bleach and dump it over your head when you leave and you're fine. <laughs> yeah. You kind of, you kind of do your best, you know I mean? What, what we've done, I mean, it, it, it you know, we, we, you figure, Hey, social distancing six feet away, you're not going to have anybody in your building, you know? And, and and the, the thing is, um, you know, we give people opportunities to sit other places. We've separated our chair. We, we, we took half the chairs out in our waiting room and kind of separated them out to where, um, you know, they're, they're, they have that distance between each other. Um, but it, it's, you know, I don't know. I just I just think most people don't, they, you know, not that they don't care. They're just like, you know, they're, they're just not, they don't see it as a bubonic plague anymore. You know, they, they've seen things change. They've seen the, the, uh, the, the ratios and the, and the death rates and everything uh, drop and, and kind of getting more of a handle on it although not all the way but I think it's just people just I don't know they, they people are just gonna people are gonna do what they want to do people people are gonna, are gonna live how they want to live we give them every opportunity to have that distance between each other but a lot of times from what I'm seeing at least 70 percent of the people that come in here they don't care they're like okay man just tell me where I can sit or just, you know, tell me where I can go you know they're not trying to be all in your face and and you know even me, even myself you know I, I'll go to a restaurant and we'll go out and, and, and uh, you know I, I'm not really too hey that's he's not six feet they're not six feet away. I really, I really don't care. I mean, life's gonna go on for me. It just, it just is what it is. I'll, I'll maintain the, the best distance that I can, and, and you know, wash my hands and all that good stuff. But I think there's just some people that just, they just, they just want to live, you know. And, and yeah. as long as we're giving the people the opportunity to, hey, here's six feet, here's six feet. You know, you want to ride home? We, we have our shuttle now that we, that we, uh, we sanitize, you know, every day, uh, two times a day, just to make sure that everybody is, is safe. Uh, we have tables they can sit out outside and so on and so forth. But a lot of people just they're just in there, you know, they just, they just, they just want to live life, I guess, you know? Yeah. So do you guys, do you guys know how to enforce the social distancing rules? Is it those six foot shoes I saw on the internet the other day? <laughs> nope. There, you see that guy? Good, with the good shoes guess. Now? Yeah, absolutely. 
right? You have the PVC pipe that swings around, right? No, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. You walk into the center of the group and you start coughing, and people will then get six feet away from you, right? So that's yeah. one yeah, way gotta, to do it. Got to remember that one. Yeah, for sure. So, but really, I mean, we're so afraid to cough. Like, if you have a tickle in your throat and you're at the store, you're like holding it because you don't want to be that. It's just, it's so funny. It's you want to get jumped on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, so I want to I want to switch gears real quick. Uh, there's a question that comes up a lot in several of the training sessions I sit in on, and I, I thought this might be a good opportunity to get your guys's feedback on this. But if, if we think about service advisors, um, you know, advisors that are looking to step up their game and grow their career, what recommendations do you have for those folks? Uh, Robert, I'd like to start with you on this one. Recommended to to be to be bought in, you know, to understand. To understand what they're getting into, um, you know, everybody that I interview and we talk to, I let them know up front. You know, it, it, can can it be lucrative? Is it a, can it can can you make money? Can you, you know? Yes, but you're going to have to have all the hard work, you know, and it's not going to come just like that. There's there's a curve. I try to be upfront and honest with everybody that, that comes into the leadership, especially if they're just coming in to to the industry. Um, you know, because it's different now than when, when than it was when I got when I was into it. Um, you know, the people are different now. You know, you get the different generation of people that, that are now coming in and, and being able to work so we kind of do what we can to make sure that they understand that it's hard work you know and if, and if you're going to be successful in this business understand that it's going to be hard work it's not anything that's going to be overnight and and honestly it, it's you know it's a sales position and if you're interested in working you know eight hours a day and then punching out and go home and think you're done then it's probably not for you it's going to take a lot more a lot more running you know uh you know that, that that hustle beats skill all the time, right? So when you first come in, you don't have the skill level yet. So you're gonna have to have the hustle. You know, you're gonna have to be out here running around. You know, listening to, to people, doing training, doing your online modules, doing role playing. Um, you know, just just be bought into it. Be be bought in and be ready to work because the it's, it's nothing comes easy in this business, and and it's and it's getting harder and harder as as competition is getting better. Um, you know, from 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 independence to 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 other dealers. Um, you know, the, the the playing field is leveling, so you know it, it gets it gets harder. So you have to understand you have to take care of the customer first, build that relationship, then worry about the sale. Um, you know, and there's some people that just come in and just want to sell, 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 or, or try to, but they gotta they gotta know they gotta crawl before they walk. That's that'd be that'd be my biggest advice. You're gonna crawl before you walk, and uh, and be ready to put in the work. Well, that's really good feedback, Jeremy. Absolutely. Great thoughts. I think, you know, the first thing that I always look at is one of the rules I've lived by since I was 19 years old is I always reinvest 10% of my personal income into myself through training. I have coaches myself. I've used a coach for 20 years. Uh, so I love the coaching aspect of it, but to step up your game as an advisor, understand you have your own business within the dealership. I mean, if you're in a dealership or a shop, you're in a multi-million dollar facility and you have this little business that you can run within it. So treat it like your own business, you know, pay attention to the details. Don't let everything matters. And, you know, like Robert said, show up and, and work. And the other thing is this, I think, yes, we are in sales and you are a sales professional, but treat it as a career. Most people as a service advisor fall into the business, meaning we all had different dreams and aspirations with our lives. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, we wound it up somewhere that worked on cars and Hey, you're good with people go up front. And that's typically how it starts. So don't be somebody that fell into the business. Stay here because you want to improve the industry. Stay here because you care about your clients. Stay here because you want to build a book of business and stay at one place. Don't jump around just because you can make more money at a different dealership. Cause I got news for you. What's holding you back from achieving your goals where you're at 
it's not the pay plan. It's not the dealership. It's not the car line. It's uh, probably you. And the problems you have are going to follow you to the other place. And you're going to be right back where you're at if you change. So change yourself first. And then this is really critical. Study consumers. Become a master at psychology and what makes people buy. And then just focus on that. Because, yes, when autonomous cars get here in, in 50 years, business can be completely different. But it's the person who owns the asset right now. And right now that's your customer and they're a human being. And you need to master how to communicate with them and how to influence them to say yes. And that's your job right there. That's really good feedback, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, in fact, you know, there's been a lot happening in our industry. A lot of folks have been furloughed. And I'm curious, you know, as things are picking back up, I'm sure there's a lot of advisors out there either looking to get back into work. And I'm kind of curious what recommendations you might have for those folks that might have been furloughed and are trying to get back in. Don't wait for the phone to ring. If your phone's not ringing, there's a reason you were furloughed and you're not at work right now. So yeah, the one thing that this has done for COVID has done for every business is we have been forced to look at every position and every person that works in the department or in the building and ask ourselves, is this person essential? And if you were not essential and you're in an essential position, then you got to go back and look at your skill set, your behaviors, and what led that to happen. And I know it's a real touchy subject, but seriously, if you're out of work, there's plenty of, you know, Rob and I were talking yesterday and I've run ads as well. And I just cannot get people to want to take a job right now. I think it's going to change after a while, but people are just wanting to stay at home and collect the unemployment and hang out. So if you're not working, there's businesses that want you get off your tail, dust off your resume, go out there and make it happen. So it's just right now, it's, it's, it's hard right now. You know, I put an ad out there for advisors that were, that were furloughed to come in and let's sit down and talk, you know, you know our businesses, our business is still here, you know, reeling them in so I can get them in front of me, see what their skill set is, see how they communicate. And, nothing, nothing. People just, you know, if, if they're out and they're already used to that money coming in, they're not looking to, they're not looking to move. They're not looking to change right now. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the ugly part of it right now. It's, it's hard to find people. So it sounds like if you've been waiting to get back to work, you should be doing it now before now everyone time. starts doing it at the end, after the end of July. Right. And like Jeremy said, if, if your phone's not ringing, you know, you should be calling. If, if you want to get back to work, be actively looking for work, you know, and, um, and it's just, they're, they're not, you know, the, the phone, they're, they're not making the effort, you know, us as, as, as business, business operators, we're looking for them, but they're not looking for us right now. And they, there's so much activity in our business. I mean, I grew up in a gas station. So when I wanted to get my first dealership job, I had to knock on 43 dealerships. Sure. It took me six months to get hired. Nobody wanted to talk to a kid uh, and put him in as a service advisor. Like, well, we can start out as a porter. And I'm like, man, come on, I will outsell and outproduce your top advisor in three months. Just give me a chance. No, you got to push your broom. I'm not doing that. So, you know, show up at 5 a.m. I remember the first dealership job I called every single week for six months. Finally got the service director. I stalked him. I found out where he parked his car and I met him, you know, five days in a row, handed him my card, said, I'm going to be the best advisor you ever hire. And finally, I got the call. We're going to give you a chance. The second job I ever got at a dealership in Santa Ana, California, I realized that the service manager loved to play golf. So he left, you know, at three o'clock on Fridays, but he would show up every day at 5 a.m. And to get the job, I showed up with coffee and donuts for a week at 5 a.m. and just hung out. And eventually you get the chance. So if you hang out and show up, 80% of it's your success is guaranteed right there. So you got to show up, get out there and make it work. 
So I guess that brings me to my final question before we open this up for Q&A, because, you know, I, I appreciate you guys giving words of advice to service advisors out there, but I want to tweak it a bit and let's talk about service managers and directors. You know, what do you recommend that they can be doing to help rally and incentivize their teams? Robert? To incentivize their teams to get out and, and make more money for them or to take care of the customer more? I mean, to, for the service directors, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, their, their, their paycheck should be incentive enough. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're training your people well enough and they're, and they're running on all cylinders and doing what they're supposed to do, you know, the, the incentive is going to be, you don't have a dropping income. Um, mm. You know, with my, with my boss, you know, I didn't get anything extra or any extra incentive or anything. And that was just my job. You know, we, we, we run the business and we have to be able to figure out ways to, to continue to, to produce um, no matter what the situation, um, you know, and it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about any incentive. To, to me, it was, it was, okay, how good are you? You know, let, let's see how, let's see what you can do now. You know, you got all these things against you. Do you still want to be number one? Do you still want to be highest in, in, in the sales? And if so, let's make it work. And, uh, and that's what we did, you know, and the way that, it, that I, that I do that was with, with my, with my advisors is just one tip I would give them is understand everybody's carrot is different. Everybody's carrot that they chase is different. Some people are in it for money. Some people are in it for you know, have a different end game. Some people like time off, you know, what, what, what is it that you like to do? You know, Jim likes to go to the lake with his boat. Uh, you know, Joe likes to spend all his money on TVs and video games, you know, like who's doing what for what. So, you know, really know your people, know what, know what interests them, know why, understand why they're doing the job that you're doing. And that's how you can incentivize your people to be able to work harder for you. Um, you know, as far as incentive as, as a director, you know, it's, it's just, it's just keeping the game going and, and, and keeping control of your business, um, you know, I, I really don't need an incentive to, to do my job. I, I love what I do. That's why I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And it, it's just it's just making sure that the business is running as it's supposed to be because at the end of the day, my business is a reflection of me and my leadership. So that's all the incentive I need. Um, it's, yeah. just, it's just pushing your people and being able to inspect what you what you expect from them. I like it. It's, it's you know, relationships and transparency, right? right? Uh, Jeremy, what about you? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things here is the first thing to incentivize your team. You got to build your team. And right now, I would take it a step further with what Robert said. You should meet with each and every individual and just have a, a planning session with them. And look, where are you at in your life? What's going on? How did this affect you? How are you feeling? What struggles are you going through? And then let's map out your career. Where do you want to be in one year, five year, 10 year, 15 years? But one of the things I discovered is being a coach. Getting results through other people is one of the hardest things on the planet. I can go write service. Robert could go on the counter and, you know, be the top producing advisor. But that doesn't do anything for us as directors or shop owners, right? We don't want to work in the business. We want the business to work for us. So you've got to have all these advisors and everybody do the work for you. So one thing for directors, get the heck off your chair, get out of your office and go see your people and then be a coach. You know, management is dead. Management doesn't work. Management deals with past stuff. You can't change the past. The only thing that works is coaching and looking towards the future. So if you're a director and you're a service manager or you're a dealership principal and you're looking at, you know, or an independent shop on your own and, hey, how do I take my business to the next level? Get back to work and enroll yourself as the coach for your people. Now, you may not go down to the service advisor or the porter level, but you might coach your service manager your sales manager and your parts manager, and you have weekly sessions or daily sessions with them and just help them then coach their people. So now you're building an organization that basically is, you know, self-propelling and self-coaching and self-managed. 
and watch how that changes everything. Here's a chat question I received. Are you changing the way you present service estimates in order to close more ROs? So, you know, Jeremy, I think you did touch on this when we were talking about, you know, it's not a recommendation. Let's talk about concerns, right? So I imagine that's a big part of, of how you coach. Um, Robert, you know, are, are you guys doing anything different in terms of how you're presenting to customers? No, I mean, as far as presenting the presentation and the overall um, process of, 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 of the sales, no, we're not. The, um, there's, there's other things that we're incorporating into it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're more, not more focused, but we're making sure that the customer understands that there's other options rather than just coming right out of pocket. Um, you know, our partnership with Sunbit has been great with us because that's one tool that we've been using to be able to communicate to the customers that, hey, you know, I understand everything that's going on. You don't want to shell out a thousand dollars right now, but you know what if we can what if we can break that up into small monthly payments for you know six months, twelve months, whatever's easier for you, and and uh, and at that point you know they've been a little bit more uh, willing to participate that way. But as far as presenting it the same way, we present it all the same way because we, we're hitting them with the related, the immediate, and the maintenance stuff. We let them know exactly what is needed, what is what. Um, that's our job. Our job is to advise them of the condition of their vehicle. And if we, if we did that any different, then we're doing a them a disservice. So we're telling them what it is. We're letting them know what the, uh, what, what, what's more important to them now, putting a game plan together for them. And the only thing that we're doing different is just, it's just making sure that they understand that they have other options and coming out of pocket hundred percent right now. And also letting them know that when they do do business with us, that we're sanitizing it now. And those are, those are, that's another something that we didn't do before, but as far as the sales process and everything else, it's just, it's the same. 